Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a squirrel by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. My mother told me to pick the very best one. And you are it. aren't going to get bludgeoned by Lucille. Instead, you get to listen to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, where Adam and Brady Sadler talk about their new game, The Walking Dead No Sanctuary. Plus, the guys chat with Ignacy during their visit to Atlanta. Now take it like a champ. Hey guys, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Name, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. This is episode number 98, Prayer for the Dying. Okay, that's kind of depressing. Well, we do have some very special guests on here that have a humongous... Are they dying? No, they're not dying. Is that why you named it that? No, it's because they have a humongous Kickstarter that's not dying either. It was actually funded, but it's all about the dead. Oh, you mean the walking dead? Wah, wah. Oh, good gosh. Really, man? You had to go there with that? No, yes. It's, well, I mean, it's a, it's a jam-packed episode. And most importantly, I didn't kill you when we made our trip to Atlanta. <laughs> no, you didn't, because we got to go see our good buddy Ignacy and spend... 12 hours gaming with the man, getting to play Cry Havoc and getting to try out First Martians, and it was awesome. And maybe after the first six hours, he might have been saying a few prayers in Polish, and we wouldn't have recognized him <laughs> saying, get me away from these fools. Yeah, it was like, this is about 10 hours too long, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to get out of here. And But of course, Steve Avery came and joined us. That was awesome of him to come over and play and bring another incredible yeah. game. Oh my mm-hmm. god, Which we'll talk about with Ignacy later on. Oh. Oh, such a that was so many, and of course, got to play one of my favorites, Strike. I, oh, so much fun! Yeah, which we'll talk about later on too. Uh, so, but, but I need let's to, not spoil everything. I know, but I gotta give a big thank you to Mr. Rodney Smith for for doing that. Whose Indiegogo campaign is still going on, guys? And if you have not had the opportunity to go out there and share some love, be sure to do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa wait, back up. What do you mean, thanks to Rodney Smith for what? He was the man who was able to secure me. That game. What game? Strike. He's responsible for this? Anything to get under your skin. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I already have so little respect for the man that it is, and then he follows that up by sending you Strike that now I have to play every time I get with you. Isn't he great? Yeah, he's something. I know. I was like, oh, man, you, I cannot believe you did this for me. Thank you so much. And then and then the only caveat is whenever you have, sit down at the table with Marty, make sure that Strike comes onto the table. And you've done it so far. I'm living up to my end of the bargain. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I didn't know he sent it to you. I've been holding that secret for a very long time. What can I say? Anyway, we've got some people over in the green room that need to get on this show, don't we, Marty? Uh, Yes, we do. We can't wait to talk to them. Two of our favorite designers. Let's bring them in. Everyone, Gen Con is almost upon us. And we know that Portal is providing a way to pre-order your games and pick them up at Gen Con. Games such as Cry Havoc, 
Tides of Madness, which we've talked about and really enjoy. But if you're not going to be at Gen Con, you can still pre-order and have them, have them sent to you. These are going to be some huge games for the con. Cry Havoc's getting incredible reviews. If you haven't watched it, go watch Joel Eddie's review. He's one of the first uh, video reviewers to put something out there. He loves it. Tom Vassell said it's one of his top games of the year so far. Cry Havoc, Tides of Madness, expansions for his uh, Rattle Battle Grab the Loot. It's all there for you. Just go out to portal.pl and pre-order today. We are so excited to have back to the show the hardest rocking brothers in board game design, Adam and Brady Sadler. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Hey, Marty. How's it going? And Tony. Hey, is it the other guy? I'm used the, to it, man. The other guy. Just go with it. <laughs> if, Adam, if you want to get any words in edgewise, you need to, like we do in meetings, you need to raise a tent up, like a placard, <laughs> to say, I want to talk now, Brady. I want to talk. Yeah, yeah, I prefer to be sitting next to him so I can stop on his foot. I'm like, dude, I want to say something. <laughs> doesn't work. doesn't work, man. It's hard to stop this trap. Well, you guys are on the show because right now we're in the middle of a very exciting Kickstarter campaign where... You two were uh, brought in to design a game for one of the hottest IPs in pop culture right now, The Walking Dead. For those who may not have heard anything about this game, you may be hearing about it for the first time, what is your elevator pitch for The Walking Dead No Sanctuary? Yeah, so The Walking Dead No Sanctuary is a fully cooperative uh, board game featuring highly detailed miniatures. It's a game of difficult cooperation where there, there are... The undead are shambling in the background, but the focus of the game is how these diverse characters interact with each other and how the players try to get them to work together, even though they're sort of designed to maybe not cooperate so well. So there's a lot, but it's at the same time, it's fully cooperative. So that's kind of the kicker is is it's a cooperative game where it's kind of hard to cooperate. <laughs> yeah, in, in the game, without getting too much detail right now, the, there's a leader in the game who uh, has to give... Orders has to choose uh, what what's going to happen every turn, and if the other players don't follow his orders, even if they can't, they they will stress out the leader, and the leadership can pass. And stress is a bad thing in the game, so a lot of stress going around. So, are you saying that being the cooperative, and I just heard this, it's not your typical go kill the zombies game? Right, Correct. right, yeah. You you will be dispatching the undead because they are a threat, but they aren't the biggest threat in the game. You'll have your teammates to cooperate with when they might not be doing what you're what you're commanding because you know you always have the alpha player in a cooperative game well you don't always but a lot of people do um in this game it kind of actually uh mechanizes that alpha player syndrome in a in a good way because there's the leader and he says guys we got to do this but you have the choice to say no we're not going to do that so you're stressing your leader out even though he's on your team but he might have made a bad call and you might have better plans so you're like well you're taking the stress because this is going to be better so and everybody um, everybody has their own secret hand of cards so they get to choose what they're doing regardless of what the leader says. They still choose what they're doing. We really went, the, one of the design mantras was individual choice. We really wanted that to, to really resonate in the game is everybody has their own individual choice and you have your own plans and you want to make a mesh together, but they don't always work that way. So you're almost trying to mimic the way the show is. And by the way, this is based on the TV show, not the comic. Correct. Correct. And, and Brady and I are both... Huge fans of the show. Um, we were thrilled to be able to do, to work on this game. Uh, we both like the comics as well, but we you know we love the show. And um, as Brady was mentioning, you know the, the the zombies like like the show. The zombies or the walkers are there, but they're kind of in the background. 
they're they're a constant threat, but they're kind of a background threat. Um, and in the game, you you will you will lose the game if if any survivor gets defeated. But you also lose if your group morale drops to zero, or if you your event deck runs out, like if you waste too much time. So um, you know, there's multiple ways to lose, not just from being eaten by walkers. Oh no, I was going to finalize that with I'm air quoting right now. The walkers are more like environmental hazards in this game. I mean, they're they're definitely prominent and they're a feature a main feature of the game, but there's something you just have to accept about the environment and you have to navigate them, you know, safely. Yeah, and that's really kind of how the the show has more what the show has morphed into because at the beginning of the show it's like what are the walkers? How do we deal with them? But we're so many seasons into it now that like you said, the the walkers are there, but that's not the threat anymore. It's the dynamic within the group. It's other humans outside that are trying to cause problems and in fact i believe in this game i have the prototypes i haven't seen all the scenarios but you also have other elements besides zombies themselves don't you yeah so uh there each there are a lot of like scenario special rules and one of the special rules is what they call rivals in the game rivals are ai controlled um groups other groups that aren't your aren't the player groups and you might encounter them and, and scenarios will dictate how they act so they'll have they'll have their own ai that's very simple and it's based off of what the leader chooses his approach so if you're aggressive you might draw the fire of these enemy groups because because you're acting very hostile and they're like oh my god shoot them but if you're very cautious they might just go take out walkers because they don't see you so so that plays into what the leadership the the leader's choice each turn but also the scenarios will also kind of mim- like kind of modify how those uh, rivals act in each scenario. So there's a lot of design space there to to kind of create personalities with each rival group. So the idea is you might would have the governor in the game or Negan or something like that. The the governor appears in the in the Kickstarter right now. He's one of the social goals. He's as the player character as a player survivor, which he was super fun to design as a survivor because he is a tough guy to work with. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, we actually have um, we have a lot of. I'm not sure how much we can give away about this, but we have a lot of ideas of how to make these iconic enemies, I guess we can call them for now, nemeses, nemeses, um, to, to play in that whole rival aspect where they can... We can just say that the game supports it. The game, yeah, We designed yep. the game to support that. Yep. We'll, we'll play it safe and say that. <laughs> so, Adam, did y'all have the game mechanics and theme and well i'm sorry nothing but just the whole game mechanics and it was looking for a theme or did they come to you with the theme and say oh we've had these ideas we think it'll work well here that's kind of what it was brady and i kind of bounce around ideas a lot when we're not when we're not working on specific projects um so we have a lot of designs started that aren't even close to finished um and we were working on an idea for a zombie game for a while and we because we love zombies we, we love the theme of zombies we always have we just never had a board game that kind of captured exactly what we wanted in a zombie game so we had some ideas, and uh, Cryptozoic contacted us and asked if we wanted to do a game for them, and they sent us a, a list of possible um, licenses that we could work with, and we saw Walking Dead, and they're like, we're doing that one. <laughs> we have a cool idea for that, and we just hit the ground running. So, Brady, what what other possible ideas were there? Um, oh, for, <laughs> for game? Oh, the IPs or for the games? <laughs> nice try. <laughs> oh, any of those that you want to uh, answer or well, spoil well, here I think actually, Rolling Dice? Actually, I think just funny. perusing Cryptoz- Cryptozoic's site, you can get an idea of how many licenses they have and how many they can possibly get. So you can imagine how long that list is. <laughs> you didn't want to tackle Castle the Board? <laughs> I, I actually would. I'd probably, I'd probably take a stab at that. But I haven't watched all that show yet, but I like the actor. <laughs> uh, fun fact, actually. when uh, Last time we were on your show, we were talking about Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game, we were making comments about, we just got an interesting uh, email, and you guys were asking what it was, and it was actually the email about this, like The yeah. Walking Dead. <laughs> so here we are again. <laughs> so that's been a, a short development time for you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah like, like Adam said, I mean, I've, I've actually, I think of all the themes out there, 
And I know zombies, people people will always say zombies are overplayed. There's too many zombie games out there, which to a certain extent, I can agree with the fact that like a lot of people will just slap zombies on certain things sometimes. But I'm, I come from the, like, the Night of the Living Dead, Resident Evil, um, the, the original video game. I love those old, slow-paced, creepy zombie um, settings. So I've always had these ideas in mind. And when you know when a Walking Dead came on, I was always I was ravenous about that show. I love the comics. So um, I've always been tinkering with stuff, not necessarily for Walking Dead, but just for like my ideal zombie game. And it just so happens that it works very well with Walking Dead. So a lot of the ideas we were kind of tinkering around with, we could just kind of morph into this. Because I mean, the main driving aspect when you play the game is a leadership mechanic. You'll see, and that actually kind of morphed. That, that's an original idea from when we signed the contract that we developed that for this game in particular. But a lot of the aspects that went into that were from uh, pieces from other designs we were working on. So it's kind of just our take on this is the zombie game we want, you know. And so when you were designing this as a co-op game, did the trader mechanic enter your mind or did you two sit down and say, hey, this is the way it's going to be pure co-op? Yeah, we, we've always liked elements of the trader mechanic. But in general, we, we kind of lose interest in trader games pretty easily um because i don't for you know one reason or the other and we were pretty um confident in this one that we didn't want to have a tr- we wanted to kind of have elements of what people use in trader games but not use not have traders in this game like purely cooperative but like brady said make it kind of a challenge to cooperate yeah i think for me the um the biggest appeal for like the trader mechanic isn't necessarily the reveal or the antagonization the antagonism of the um the trader it's more just the difficulty of not knowing what's what's not working with this with this team and um, i remember playing the grizzled i think you guys have played the grizzled right if you talk about it before a yeah. few times yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the grizzled so when i was playing that i just loved this game where you couldn't talk a lot about what's in your hand and everything but you had to work together and you were like trying to get through, get all these cards out of your hands and together but it seems like every time you're playing a card it's bad for everybody else so it's like it's kind of difficult to cooperate and i love that concept so that kind of had a, an impact on me at the time too just i want to make sure because that to me that kind of conveys that whole trader thing in a, in a way but it takes away the whole social aspect and it's all just mechanical you know which I, I really liked in the mechanics of the game or the cards you have those trader mechanics already built in because if people don't follow the lead which they can if we don't know what you're, we're talking about right now they can go watch Rado's video video on it and there it is there's that trader mechanic exactly, exactly. yeah yeah and and I don't have much against the trader mechanic like as a player i just don't think i'll ever really want to design um a trader game it's it, it relies a lot on the social interaction which you know social interaction is great in games it's what games are all about but i i'm i'm a big mechanics guy i love i love you know solid like really heavy rules about how to interact with everything so um so yeah that was kind of our take on how to how to kind of get the trader feel without actually having trader mechanics in it yeah i was able to uh, get a prototype of this game was able to play it and i was the leader the first time that we played the game and it does create some interesting decisions and kind of explain uh, how this works is you draw two event cards at the, the beginning of the game and you have to discard one and put one into play. Let's see, there are different colors, right? There's blue, there's wild, <laughs> right? there's, there's green, yellow, and red. Correct. Yeah. And then you're going to put one of those into play. And unfortunately, the discard mechanic is like when you discard it, you must do it. It's usually bad. So you're just trying to sit there and decide for the group which one of these will be the least bad for us. But then if you keep it in play, those can be good. So it's a balancing act. But then you've added this other element that based on the color of the card chosen you're kind of indicating what you want everybody else to choose as their color card to play because everybody else has their own deck with those same three colors. 
and you want them to match because if they don't, then that's going to cause you stress. That's exactly right. Yep, nailed, nailed it. it. Except for one thing, I would one thing I would add is um, the discard effects are always bad. <laughs> like there are so ones said, that are worse than others, but yeah, they're always bad choices. <laughs> no, that, that's what he said. He, he was talking about the. I'll expand on this one. He said the one you put into play could be good, and what right, that means right. is the event you put into play has little mini objectives, sort of that you want you want someone on the team to do, and if nobody on that turn does the event objective then the leader also takes stress so you're you're not only you're setting the approach for the turn but you're also saying hey on top of our main objective for this scenario i want you to do this this turn and if nobody does it you're gonna get stressed out right and what i found was that um the, the term that you i believe that you use is called defiant if somebody else does not follow the same color they're considered defiant but it's not typically on purpose they may have drawn cards in their hand and they don't have the color card that you put into play so they really have no choice or in the certain situation that they're in, they may decide, you know, I need to be defiant in this situation in order to try to reach our end goal. And so when that happens, you put stress on the leader. And uh, once the leader has three stress, it's like, okay, I can't handle being a leader anymore. And you actually pass the leadership role on to the next person in line on the table. Yep, exactly. Just like Rick at the end of season two. Of <laughs> or middle season, of season three. Season three, yes, mid-season three. <laughs> what, a Ricktocracy? <laughs> I was just going to add on to that, that the uh, not having the appropriate um, approach card in your hand is definitely happens a lot. But as you said, sometimes there's something that you can play that is actually good for everybody. And it's like, it's the perfect card for you to play that turn, but it happens to be defiant. So you are ignoring the leader's orders, but you are doing something really good for the group. So it's just a tough decision sometimes to see what you what you can do that turn to to help get everybody to the objective. And it seems like that once you get beyond that point, you kind of move into the player turn, and then it feels like uh, you know a typical type game where you have uh, you have some maneuvers and some actions you can take, and a lot of those actions in, involve dice rolls. So why don't you explain that part of the game when it actually gets to a player's turn? Sure. Yeah. So the the action mechanic in the game. Um, so you do have a maneuver and an action. Maneuvers are minor things you can do, like you can move, you can um, rest and get rid of some stress if there's no enemies in your area. Um, but the action mechanics are really interesting because there's three basic actions you can do. You can uh, grapple, which is an attack. You can knock guys down in your area. You can search, and you can um, uh, coordinate, which helps. Every, it's it's um, an action assist. that helps. Yeah, assist, sorry. It uses your coordinate skill. So um, those are the basic actions you have. But also, every turn, at the start of your turn, you have to play a survivor card like we were talking about. And that card might also introduce a new action you can do. And then the scenarios might have extra actions you can do also. But the way the actions work is you when you choose an action, the action effect, it, it triggers. It's basic, just like, there's no test. You just do an action. But you still have to roll dice. So after you resolve the action effect, you gather up dice equal to the stat that that action is based on. So let's say you're grappling. So you get your uh, your attack uh, dice. You get a number of action dice equal to your attack. And then you add a number of stress dice equal to the stress you've suffered. And also one more uh, stress die if you have a, uh, at least one walker in your area. And you roll those up. And the you want to get successes on the action dice. Because um, successes may let you boost your action. So let's say if you're grappling, your basic attack, your basic, ac- basic action effect knocks down an enemy in your area. And one of the success effects can be defeat a knockdown enemy in your area, so you could spend a success to do that. So it's it's a very it's it's very um, there's a lot of economy in in the successes because you can also get focus to switch focus to success, um, or you can gain focus tokens to be prolonged successes for later actions. Um, and feel free to jump in here, Adam, if I'm overlooking anything because the action system is very robust. I'm just trying to cover kind of like you know give an overview of it but yeah he was touching on the dice mitigation in the game like there are there are successes on the on the action dice but there's also 
exert symbols and ex, um, exert symbols and focus symbols. And the fo like Brady said, the focus. If you have focus tokens, you can discard a focus to make a focus a success. And if you roll an exert symbol, you can exert, which means damaging yourself by discarding cards, because your deck of survivor cards is also your life, um, your health. So you can exert to you know push yourself to make something a success as well. So you do have some control over the dice. Now the the stress dice that you roll. Those are bad, and you don't have much control over those. So you just don't want to don't want to have too much stress when you're doing actions, because you might increase your threat, or you might um, you trigger fear, fear effects. effects. Yeah, fear yeah. effects. Every survivor card you play has a fear effect, which represents a weakness that that character has, or something that if they're if they're playing an act, attack action, the fear effect might be, oh, you made too much noise when you're attacking, or something like that. So those are pretty bad. All right. So I'm glad you explained that because I because when I was watching the Rado video to understand because. Marty still has the demo. I haven't made it over to his house. He made me chauffeur him to Atlanta this past week. And <laughs> I'm, you know. But my question is, what character was the favorite of yours to design? Because each of these characters has unique powers, right? Correct. That's right. Um, and I, I guess I'll go first, Brady. Um, for me, it was the first character I designed was Rick. Um, Rick's my favorite in the show, and so I, you know, I wanted to design him first. And he's probably still my favorite. And I, it's kind of a tie between him and Herschel. Because as we uh, previewed on the uh, Kickstarter update today, they described how Herschel plays, and he's kind of like the medic, and I always like to play healers or support characters in games. So Herschel is really good at healing people, but Rick is kind of all-around helpful. Like, his survivability helps you roll more dice. He's good at, at getting rid of stress for you, and he's also a pretty good attacker, so he's probably my favorite. Uh, man, this is a tough choice, because I remember spending a few, like a week, just designing going on a design spree and design like 20 survivors. Um, but I think the ones that stand out the most, I'd have to say is the governor who we talked about earlier as a, he's kind of like a, an exclusive uh, survivor. So he's, um, he's kind of special in the sense that he's, you know, if you watch the show, you know, he's not, he's, he's got to work with, and I don't know why anybody in the group would want to work with him, but um, he's very efficient and he's um, very tyrannical. And that's represented in his abilities because he, he buffs you at a cost but the interesting thing about him is a lot of survivors you can choose to use their abilities. But if you have t tokens from the, if you have the governor's tokens on your sheet, you have to spend them. You don't have a choice because <laughs> he doesn't let you have a choice. Um, and then I also I really liked Lori, who I, I'm not a huge fan of that character in the show, of course. Um, Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but designing her character was really interesting because her deck. I, I mean. I'm trying not to like toot my own horn here, but I, I feel like I really captured the theme of that character in her deck. Um, so she's. You mean whined a lot? <laughs> yeah, every card. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to ask that. Which one's the most whiny? And oh, remind me, I'm getting the names confused. I, I watched The Walking Dead. Don't get me wrong, but which one was Lori? Did she. Uh, what? Rick's, Rick's wife. wife. Yeah, Rick's wife. Oh, good yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> so so her, uh, her cards revolve around her. Um, of course, she does cause some stress. Imagine that. But mm -hmm. um, her ability lets, mm -hmm. lets the. You can discard her, her ability token to reveal one of your cards to the leader. So it's called Voice of Reason. So she's kind of like a mitigator. Like she tries to like bridge the gap between you know Rick, the leader, and that in, in the show. But in the game, anybody who's a leader, she can help kind of mitigate whoever's calling the shots to oh, listen to this guy. He has an idea too. So she was pretty fun to design, also. And you talk about all the characters you have, and that 
presents uh, creates a lot of replayability for the game between all the characters and all the different scenarios that you can have. You can mix match a lot of those, and like Tony said, they all have their unique abilities. They all have certain attributes because not of not all of them roll the same number of dice. There's three attributes per character, and some are better. Like Daryl's really good at attacking, where somebody else may might be good at uh, uh, coordinating. It just indicates on the on the sheet how many dice you're going to roll for that particular action that you want to take. So you combine all that stuff together, you can get this uh, game to the table a lot without ever really repeating itself. Correct. Yeah, you, even if you're playing the same scenario, the different combinations of survivors and their because every survivor has a unique deck of cards that's that's you know you that's their their deck. Um, so everybody plays differently, and then also the different combinations of different survivors playing together can create a, lots of cool different experiences. And like you know, we've played the same scenario many times, but it you know keeps it interesting when you change up the survivors. Yeah. Yeah, we, we added a degree of modularity too, where you can have because there's there's special walkers um, in the game, and in it never it never the scenarios never call out specifically which one to use. So players can either shuffle up randomly and deal out a, a special walker, like a, a fire walker or a crawler walker. Um, so that really mixes it up too, because those have special rules. Like for example, you cannot shoot a crawling walker; you have to go up and stomp on its head because you you know you can't get a clear shot. It's crawling around in the grass. So that there there's stuff like that, that adds a lot of modularity to this to this each scenario. So you can kind of customize the ones you've already played to make them different. And speaking of walkers and characters, uh, each one of these has a mini that gets associated with it too. You have some real nice 3D sculpted minis. Yeah, definitely, exactly. Yeah, and they look pretty cool. If you, I mean, if you're a fan of the show, just having those miniatures of those characters is pretty cool. I mean, I'm pretty excited to get them. <laughs> but part of the Kickstarter is also if your budget doesn't allow, there's also the standees, right? Yeah, there's the. That. There's the uh, $40 pledge, I believe. Yeah, $40. You get the, yeah, it's called base, the game and stand, base game and with standees instead of miniatures. That includes all the stretch goals with the $40 pledge. Is there any other differences other than these cute little miniatures running around? From the $40 one? No, the, the stretch goals. The exclusive, uh, right? The, the, the Daryl exclusive. I don't oh, think it, oh. Does that include in the... Yeah, that's just the $40 pledge doesn't, doesn't include some of those exclusives that the, the, the higher pledge level has with the miniatures. When the game comes to retail, will it be standees or miniatures or both? What I've heard, they're, they're, they're discussing how best to handle it. What I've heard is they're going to have a like a mass retail version with the standees for like your Walmarts and Targets because they want to hit those. But they're going to have like hobby shop uh, version two, which is just the, the miniatures in the box. So um, you can get the cheaper ones if you go to the grocery store or something, but you can get the, if you go to the hobby game store, you'll get the miniatures one, I'm sure. And this may be too early to determine, but do you know if they will sell the miniatures separately in case you buy the standee version and want to upgrade later? They've hinted, they talked about it in the comments roughly. They said they have plans. They have plans for that, but it, it all depends because because there's licensing stuff involved. They can't reveal all of their stuff until they've hit certain numbers, but they do have plans to make those available. Yeah, because what I was going to say is I can go to Target right now and get the little blister packs of like Rick and Carl, and I can stick them on the board and play with them, the action <laughs> figures. <laughs> I know this is not helping y'all, but I'm just <laughs> thinking through this. So uh, speaking, of, so you mentioned uh, this. This is Cryptozoic. It's currently right now on uh, Kickstarter, and I know a lot of uh, there was a lot of comments, a lot of thoughts that when this first was announced, that people were like uh, little standoffish of the project just because Cryptozoic has put out a lot of IP based games that really haven't gone over that well. Could you talk a little bit about how you guys are going to change that aspect for Cryptozoic and now bring some really good IP products to that company? Sure. Um, I, I have a lot of experience with that as well because um, the very first game I ever designed for a publisher was one of those uh, mass market IP games where they didn't really care what the game was. They just wanted to get a game together, put this IP, you know, this logo on it, and put it in the stores. Um, so I know a lot of people have a, you know, this this view of 
these big licensed games that there's not a lot of thought put into these games. But uh, Cryptozoic, when they contacted us, they specifically you know said they they were interested in taking a big license and kind of taking their licensed games to the next level um, by hiring um, professional designers to help out and and make the really deep uh, strategic strategy driven game uh, based on an IP. So I, th- I think that I think that we kind of did. A, did as best we could to <laughs> go with that vision. Yeah, and I think I think one thing to keep in mind too is as I, I read these comments too, of course, because before we signed on to this, we were we were I mean we're just consumers also. We we design we're in the, we're in the industry, but we also I purchase games a lot. So um, I have certain uh, preconceived notions about Cryptozoic's uh, licensed games, but but at the same time I understand those are kind of aimed at a different crowd because a lot of those are aimed at these. I mean they try to get their their games into Game Stops uh, where video games are more popular um, and you know mass market and stuff like that so it's it's pretty i mean it's pretty obvious that a lot of hardcore hobby gamers will kind of turn their noses up at that. It's like all oh, those games are just they're just so brainless blah 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 but it's it's kind of for a different audience and and I've, i and i kind of appreciated when they came to us like i had to mention that they kind of wanted to add that like a robust design to one of their ips and really push it up there into the hobby in the hobby market so we're like heck yeah dude, sign us up <laughs> yeah brady and i are, are like gamer fans first you know we, we design games in our free time but you know we're we're consumers, and we we <laughs> we know what we want, so we try to kind of give people what they what they what think we want as well. So, so are you on for the long haul with them? I mean, you know, you're coming with the boards and the base cards. I mean, like you said, the scenarios are endless here. If the game is a hit, right? Yeah, if the game if the game gets legs, I mean, we I, I've got plenty of ideas to expand this. Um, I've already I'm kind of to the point now where they tell me to stop sending ideas right now wait till this is done <laughs> but but i mean I, we could take this to so many different levels as long as there's people showing enough interest in it um and the, and the fans like it it's got a, it's got a good reception so far for people who've played it so i'm hopeful yeah we uh we just funded today actually um, while this is recording um we funded today and we have they have lots of stretch goals planned. we we you know we prepared a lot of things for this kickstarter um i hope we you know hit some of them um because there's some really exciting things coming up um yeah, we, we have a lot of content already designed, um, and if it's not unlocked in this Kickstarter, I'm sure it'll be used in the future. I hope we unlock all of them. But <laughs> I hope you do, too. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd ask that question and, and uh, because uh, it's one of those things that I might would have passed by also until I saw that uh, your, your names was dis- uh, listed as the designer, and that got me really interested because I enjoy what you guys have done. So that, that did bring in, some, I think, some additional eyes, and I think that was smart of Cryptozoic to bring in a couple people that people know about and have, have has a good track record with their game. So good for them. I'm glad to see that it has funded, and I believe this is going to end on August 1st, so there's not much time left. It was kind of a short Kickstarter. I think it was like only 20 days. Yeah, it was a short one. Um, and, you know, they, you know, Cryptozoic is dealing with all these different licensors and they all have different approval processes and, and things that I, you know, I have no idea about because I, we just focus on the game. Um, but there's a lot of elements that go into scheduling and, and, Everything that I, you know, we out of our control. So, yeah, the the, uh, the Kickstarter comments section is like a fountain of people suggesting how best to run Kickstarter campaigns, and and that feedback's really appreciated. But I think a lot of those people don't stop and think, well. Cryptozoics got their hands tied a lot in the sense that they, they can't do everything they want to do because they're working with licensors who also tell them what they want done. And so it's, it's a lot of licensors don't, don't have the same involvement with the hobby board game Kickstarter, you know, 
landscape. So it's it's a lot of conflicting stuff that goes on that's in the background. Nobody wants to really talk about publicly, so which is understandable because it's a headache. <laughs> so there's a lot of a lot of hands tied there. <laughs> there's a lot of approval processes involved. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm looking over here, tons of add-ons. I mean, two expansions. Wow, that's pretty adventurous guys yeah they yeah, tried was... to come out swinging on that because they had a, they had a big long plan of what i mean that's what kind of most of the development time was devoted to we had we had a core design pretty quick but then it was all about getting all this content ready to go because they wanted it available to launch to show off and we're like oh geez okay let's let's do this <laughs> i think that's also contributed to the shorter campaign and since it's since it is a shorter campaign i think they were trying to show off as much as early as possible to, to show the backers you know there's a lot of stuff planned for this game um you know there's a lot here so well, that that's good. I, I'm I'm really glad that this is this is funded. I I, I like I said, enjoy you guys. I'm I'm glad the su- success you've had. And and uh, before we wrap this up and, and let you guys go, we do have a couple follow up questions. One, the last first time we had you on the show was for a Warhammer Quest, and I saw that there were like a couple uh, new characters that were just released that you can uh, pick up some add on packs. Uh, for the additional characters, uh, five bucks a piece. I love that price point. So I'm going to be picking those up. Uh, where's that game stand? Is there is there some new scenarios or expansions coming out for it? Um, I wish we could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a feeling. Yeah, I'll, I have a feeling. There's some discussions about. I mean, Gen Con's coming up, so I'd assume that a lot of the announcements are going to be. I mean, it's common knowledge that FFG has a a wealth of announcements for Gen Cons. So, so keep your ears peeled there. <laughs> so basically if you're going to Gen Con, you want to get a ticket for the in-flight report. That's Friday at 1 p.m., which I have a ticket for. And we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what's going on there. That's right. So, and uh, you got anything else in the hopper that you can talk about? Yeah, we actually have a, another uh, Kickstarter coming up. Um, did you want to go ahead and talk about it, Brady? No, oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention what you were just mentioning is we have a Kickstarter. It's it's not there's no date set in stone yet. Um, there was discussions about it being in August. But I'm not sure if it's still the case, but it's uh, with MegaCon Games. There, uh, it's a game set in their Myth World. This game's called Myth Dark Frontier. It's a cooperative board game. Um, it's on. It's already like been announced, and there's a lot of information on BGG. You can check it out there. But they they're still pending the uh, launch date, so we'll see when that happens. There's actually a uh, a video of them playing through some of the game on Board Game Geek right now, and it, they, I think they posted a, an update on one of their Myth Kickstarters. Um, but yeah, it's like a 45 minute video, so you get a pretty good feel for the game if you check it out. So I know we're right done with The Walking Dead, but I did have a quick follow up on the allies when you're playing with less than four players. Is that for every character? Allies are for every character? Yeah, the back of every survivor sheet will be an ally version. Yeah, Brady loves his solo games, so he had to make sure that there was some solo friendly content in the game <laughs> it took like twice the amount of development time but i think it's gonna be worth it <laughs> well, what's your favorite solo game um i don't have a lot i've been um i've been playing a lot of dvg just the uh, leader games like um uh patchy leader um i love playing sentinels of the multiverse but i think my all-time favorite solo game is lord of the rings lcg nice which is where you got your inspiration from for Warhammer Quest. Yeah, yeah. I'm still itching to design a expandable game somewhat in that vein. I just, I'm just i a, a huge adventure game buff, but I love card games, cooperative card games, so I'm going to do something eventually in that realm. <laughs> so are you in the Grey Havens um, expansions? Yeah, but playing solo through that's pretty rough, so it's uh, I need to get my... My wife's been taking a break since we had our... We have a new son, so she, we're kind of... You know, kind of Thanks, thanks. He's eight months now, but we're still kind of getting the routines of having a screaming kid in the house so so maybe i'll get my second player back soon i don't know <laughs> that's awesome that she plays with you now before we let you go i do have to ask the, the final question here is this 
I, I know you guys keep up with the TV show. Who do you think is going to get it on The Walking Dead from Negan? I I have a strong feeling that they're going to stick to the, true to the comics on that. I think that they're going to take Glenn out. I think. Yes. So people people have asked us because they think we have knowledge, but we don't. So I'll I'll, I'll put that you know precursor up there. We don't really have any information about that. But um, I I personally think it's going to be Daryl. I just have a feeling that they they want to shock people and remove Daryl from the show. If they if they kill Daryl. There will be riots in the streets. Exactly. You, you, think you, yeah. <laughs> you think you have upset people over this political situation we're in? <laughs> if they kill off Daryl, I feel sorry for MC. They will lose their entire female demographic if they kill off Daryl. <laughs> I hope you're wrong, dude. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of hope I'm wrong, too. I just have this weird feeling that, I don't know, It's it, when I saw that episode, that's all I could think about. Oh, it's Daryl. It's going to be Daryl. It's going to be Daryl. Can I say that I'm pulling for Carl? <laughs> you sadistic man. <laughs> he already he already lost the guy, poor kid. <laughs> I mean, how much how much more can you send Rick over the edge? Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah, yeah, but we all but we all feel it's probably a major and not a minor character, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it's I think Glenn and Daryl. I mean, I, it could be easily be Dan Glenn, Dan or Dan or Claire, Glenn or Daryl in my mind, but um, but yeah, I'd probably lean more toward Glenn after talking about this more. But I just have this gut feeling it's Daryl for some reason. Oh my gosh, people will flip, they will <laughs> flip and lose their mind. I'll lose my mind because he's such a fan favorite because he's not in the comic, so right. he's strictly from the show. Yeah. So without getting being specific as in names and who you're working with, how many games do you have in the hopper right now? As far as in development or yeah. Um, or, or yeah, you're you're trying to get out there for companies or for whatever. And follow up to that is: Are you strictly going co-op now, or are you going to branch out again? And, and well, we do enjoy co-op. Um, I will say that I'm not sure if um, many people are familiar with this uh, Twitter account, but Awful Fantasy um, is a Twitter account that um, is kind of like a parody fantasy um, literature, fantasy sci-fi literature account that's pretty funny uh, if people like weird humor they should check it out but they're friends of ours and we designed a card game that was on kickstarter earlier this year um that funded successfully and we're actually in the process of uh you know getting all the art together for that game and trying to finish it off but we're also that one playing wasn't co-op that was that was a competitive game that was competitive but it, it was a lighter game is our first attempt at doing like a lighter game because brady and i usually design a little more complex games so it was you know it's interesting it was an interesting process it was fun but we're in the process of doing a board game with them, um, an awful fantasy board game, which is a, another, one of our next projects that's kind of in the hopper. Um, other than that, we do we have a lot of personal designs that we're working on, but we kind of just try to stick with one contract at a time um, because we do this in our free time, and we don't have tons of it. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we, we actually haven't had to pitch a game in a while because we usually just get contracted to design a specific game. But actually, um, personally, I, we have two main uh, pet projects going on. I got a superhero co-op game and then a, a co-op Euro, actually, which I'm kind of just experimenting with because I, I never thought I'd design a Euro. And I don't play a whole lot of Euros, but I have this, you know, affinity for them. They kind of got me into the hobby. So we're messing around with a co-op Euro as well. So we'll see where those go. Well, uh, I thought I had the last question. Then Tony threw in another question. So no, no, really, this is the last question. <laughs> no, there's go. one after this even. <laughs> well, then you go first. I want the last question. Go ahead. You want the last question? All right. So Marty was joking about Castle, the board game. How about Castle, the social deduction game? You, 
Think about it. Don't answer it. Don't, no, okay, I, now I can think about it. No. Wouldn't you absolutely <laughs> hate that, though? <laughs> yes. I, but, but I love Castle, but think about the whole thing of, you know, oh. trying to kill the civilians, and then you'd have them. Does your love of Castle overpower your hatred of, of deduction games, <laughs> social deduction games? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Never mind. Castle the Clue? I don't know. Okay, I listen to you guys' show a lot, and I hear how much you hate the social deduction games, Tony. <laughs> yeah, where do they even come from, Tony? <laughs> Oh, I don't. I, hey, there is one that we got to play at Origins. We hate we missed y'all at Origins. Hate you couldn't make it. Yeah, and, me too. And it, it was actually is by uh, Emerson, and um, it was it was pretty. It, it had grabbed my interest. So there you go. He's an interesting designer. Yeah, I like his stuff. But it, it's in prototype, so we we know it's it's not coming out anytime soon. So, all right, so here it is. Last question. Know, you're both musicians. I really appreciate that. What's the last album you bought? Uh, Van Halen Greatest Hits. Are you serious? Yeah, I bought it because I needed to download it on iTunes because my, my son likes classic rock. He's like only eight months old, and he hates kid music. He'll just cry through it. But if I play some Journey or some Van Halen, he just loves it. He just, he just stares at it. like He just spaces out. I love this dad. <laughs> that's awesome. You're, that's good parenting right there, okay? Um, if I'm being completely honest here, um, the last album I bought was the uh, Frozen soundtrack. Because <laughs> my... My daughter uh, really wanted to listen to something in the car besides my podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're podcasters these days. I mean, we, we still love music and all, but we just, every time we're in the car, we listen to podcasts. <laughs> okay, so I was wrong. Maybe the castle question was a better last question. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, so much uh, congrats to the success so far with No Sanctuary. Uh, it, everyone listening, if you haven't checked it out, it, it ends on August 1st. So you don't have a lot of time. Uh, go check it out. I've played the prototype that the tension is very thick when you're playing as the leader. What they wanted to create actually works because as a leader trying to decide what's the best way to help the group without really hurting the group. And then you got people that might go against you. What they tried to design works. It's not about the zombies. It's about working with other people and completing your goal. Uh, really good game. Congrats, guys. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank thanks for having us. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having us on. I really appreciate your guys' show. I just want to say that because I listen to you guys all the time. Keep doing what you do, man. It's great. Thank, Thank you. I know that getting one of your favorite games to the table is sometimes challenging just because of the setup. Well, I've been seeing a lot of posts over on Instagram and Twitter of people just talking all about that big damn crate from the Broken Token and how it has streamlined their ability to get Firefly to the table. Yeah, it's a costly little thing, but if you love that game, it really benefits you to go out and check thebrokentoken.com for the big damn crate because he can get it to the table for you quicker just because of the setup. Tony, you know, here at RDTN, we spare no expenses in this show. And when we want to have on guests, we want to make sure that we have good quality guests on and give the best quality production that we can have. Even if that means flying that guest all the way from Europe over to the U.S. and traveling to see that guest. And that's what we have done today. Wait a minute. I thought you were going to lead off with something like you did with Steven. Sit there and say, you know, we like to spend our time with designers, producers, one some of our favorites. And this time we actually do. We got to spend time with Ignacy today. <laughs> That's what's so great about this. So, yes, we got to spend time with Ignacy in Atlanta. That was amazing. Yeah, and in fact, he's like right here with us right now. But should we let him speak? I think we should. All right, Ignacy, how are you doing, sir? Hello, everybody. I'm doing very, very well. We played 
for 12 hours or 10 hours. I don't know. It's, it, it passed like a minute. So the whole day playing the game. No, we weren't playing a game for 12 hours. This was not Twilight Imperium. That's correct. All right, let's, let's set up what we got going on here. So Ignacio is traveling around the country for the next five weeks. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm in states for five weeks. I'm visiting different cities. Uh, started in uh, Orlando, then Atlanta, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, and finally Indianapolis. So it's a huge adventure for me. And I'm meeting with uh, gamers playing in the game stores, playing in the hotels. And today I played with you guys. Once again, we didn't, you know, we, we found that we had a very nice hotel, great rooms. Steve Avery came and joined us um, today, Marty. And he brought some incredible, awesome 1980s games <laughs> to oh do the gosh. thing. And I mean, you know, where else could you get, I mean, Ignacy, you had to travel thousands of miles, 22 hours, and you got to play a game called Thunder Road. Yeah, I told you when he showed us the box, I told him, this is something incredible. We didn't have such a game in Poland back then. 86 it was, right? 1986. Uh, I had uh, 10 years back then. Uh, so for me, it was like a super experience. And it was a fun game. Was it a fun game? Yes, it was. It, it really was. It was stupid, but it was stupid fun. <laughs> and it was even more fun because... I won because I blew up Ignacy's car with my chopper. So that that's what made that that an incredible experience. But it, I mean, we're waiting for the re-release from Portal. Uh, I think that Steven told us that someone else is working already on this, right? That there was some rumors. I don't know what's going to happen, but maybe we'll see. We'll see. You might better look out. Crazy Cards has competition now. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's difficult, right? So you're down in Dice Tower Con. Did you have a good time? Did you get a lot of demos in? What were you demoing? Yeah, I was demoing Crazy Cars and Cry Havoc and Tides of Madness for the four or five days. I don't remember exactly. I was demoing from the beginning of the day till the late night, and I had a blast. It was my first Dice Tower Con. Many gamers, many true BGG users who know the games and who can very easily get the rules right and play the games. It was a really pleasure. And yes, we had uh, lots of lots of demo games done. No single game played except demo games done by me. So I was only running demo games. That's one reason why, well, that is not true. I was going to say, it's one, it is one of the reasons why we came down to Atlanta. First, we wanted to spend time with you and just hang out. And we've been talking about this for months, about hooking up. But it also gave us a chance to try out some of these games. And the first game that we got to play, we got to play the final production of Cry Havoc production copy i mean we got to play a prototype back at bgg con and boy it has really changed from what we saw at bgg con and now it is a absolute gorgeous game yeah thank you so this is a production copy i have one of the six copies on this planet right now because we have only a few copies right now the rest will be shipped to the gen con uh, so it is a very valuable copy right now. And speaking of which, it's going to be at Gen Con. And you're looking at having like 300 copies at Gen Con. Yes, we are going to have one pallet of games shipped directly, Irish shipped directly to Gen Con. So we have game on the pre-order right now, and I hope that the, we will have very good Gen Con this year. So that's the production copy. The miniatures were really gorgeous. They were sturdy miniatures, easy to tell them apart. You know, we got to play Marty at BGG Con. They were miniatures from all different types of games. So that was kind of neat to see. But once again, board was gorgeous. It was very interesting tactics that we got to use. I mean, you had deck building going on there. You had area control. You were scoring points. Mechanisms were kicking in. Of course, favorite Ignacy events would show up that would never give you a break. It's one of those games that 
that I think as you play it, the more people that get into it, the more craziness havoc would be created from this game. Yeah, and in fact, we got to play a three-player version. You said this is the first time you've ever played that game in a three-player variant. Yeah, this is crazy that I played so many tests, but uh, most of the tests that I was playing, it was a four-player variant. And for the most of these tests, I was playing as a truck player. So for me, it was uh, for the first time playing a three-player variant and one of the few thing, uh, times I played actually with the pilgrims. And I'm very happy to be able to destroy you guys today. And that he did. Oh, it was ugly. I mean, the humans didn't even show up. I was the humans. <laughs> and, you know, but that's one of those things. That's one of these games where you can only get better the more you play it. Because obviously I had no clue how to play the humans today. And did, have you found that as people are playtesting at Dice Tower Con, that it, it is taking them a little bit to understand the mechanics of each of the races? No, I can just go ahead and answer for you. No, it's just you. No, 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 no. Uh, absolutely no. At Dice Tower Con, most of the games were, were won by the truck players and the most games were lost by the pilgrims players. So it is uh, true that each faction has its uh, learning curve, how you call it, right? So you have to discover how they work and the pilgrims are the most difficult because they don't try, they try not to be involved in the battles. They have to gather the crystals and this is really difficult. And the trucks on the other way are popping like popcorn on the board very easily and attacking everybody. So yes, there is a stepping curve uh, about the learning of the game. Absolutely. Now, Marty was playing the machines and he had this mechanism called the orbital strike. Now that was oh out of nowhere this thing could come down and strike you and wow that just decimated one of my plans but that was okay and you accused me of king making but yet you still won so any comments about that <laughs> i can only comment the fact that in the very first round i gave you advice which was bad that i can confirm that it was a stupid idea to recommend you to build a cannon in the wrong area uh, i still feel guilty for that so sorry Oh, that's not a problem. We, I understand that. I mean, it's kind of like other things that you may want to give advice on. Like the next game, I got to try Imperial Settlers, and your wife joined us. By the way, your daughter is absolutely adorable. But, but she wouldn't talk to us. But she wouldn't talk to us. I know. I think we were the southern dialect was throwing her off. But your wife, she's vicious. Uh, she played a lot of impersonators in her life, so yes. And I believe she was showing off a little bit to destroy, so she was quite over-motivated, I would say. <laughs> yes, she was. But now, Tony, you got to play the brand new faction, the Aztecs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Well, first off, they didn't win, so I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but it was it was very interesting. I mean, just to finish it up, guys, when Marty and I were playing at the end of the end scoring, Marty and I left and got uh, milkshakes from Chick-fil-A because there was no sense in us hanging around <laughs> to see the final scoring because it was that bad. And Steve Avery, who doesn't play these games was in a better chance than we were. It's nothing against the Aztecs, but it was so neat. Aztecs have this new mechanic, Prey. Now, Ignasi, what does Prey do? Because it's going to be for all the factions. Yeah, so this idea of bringing religion to the universe of Impulsators, and now each faction can pray to its gods uh, for gifts, and it is a mechanism of push your luck, so you can be blessed and have uh, resources and goods um, basically for free because you're blessed in uh, such a thing or you can pray for more and this is the moment when push your luck comes comes up you have to draw common cards and if they match the color you were praying for you will get the goods but if you are not having these cards if you're not 
having these right colors, you just offended the gods and you will not get nothing. Okay. And Marty, how did that nothing work for you? Oh my gosh. So I, you know, like you said, every faction gets prey cards, right? So when I, when I drew them into my hand, I was playing the, the Japanese. It's like, all right, I want to see how these things work. And it's quite simple. I activate the card and I, for me, the Japanese was, was looking for red cards. So you'd flip over five cards and every time you flipped over and got one, you got a victory point. Let's see. I prayed like three times in a row. That was 15 cards. There was one red card in that 15. So I wasn't too happy with the prayer mechanic. The gods were not listening to me. Ignacy, and all the playtesting that you've done so far, was is that the type of mechanism or the, the events that you want people to f- experience with that mechanism? No, no. We want the players to have blessing tokens and uh, have these basic mechanisms be saved. That if you have blessing tokens, you have save prayers and then you perhaps want to push your luck and and uh, draw more cards uh marty was unlucky to not having blessing tokens for the most of the game i think at the end of the game you had the one um, am i right uh, at the end of the game i had a card that would have given me a deal to get a blessing yeah. token but i didn't get it in play yeah so uh it was very harsh for him for you you were as after you had a lot of these blessing tokens and uh, feature cards that let you draw more cards when you pray so of course aztecs are praying much better than other factions that is true yeah and one of the things i would i did like about that until mr avery came and destroyed my temple was the mechanism or the combo i had going on the victory points of generate the resources set up the card deck and then immediately get to pray to get those resources and pull them out and count them towards victory points because other than that i did notice marty that the aztecs didn't have a lot of the common buildings on their side. I just, I wasn't going to benefit from that. And so Ignacy, is that the thought behind the Aztecs that they're going to be more on their temple side? Yes, absolutely. Like they are like a romance that they try to be as soon as possible building faction counts because they are very powerful and very good for them. And uh, the another problem for the Aztecs is that they don't generate, I don't know if you uh, look at this problem, they don't generate shields at all yeah. in the production phase so they really don't want to have common cars uh, common cars because they will lose them anyway yeah it was quite evident they were no shields because i never got a shield and i was like okay and the common cards do you i don't remember marty do you get shields in from any of the common cards i don't think so are you looking at me watch the guy who designed the yeah, game you have every faction produces shield as a production as a base production you don't uh, you as the aster you don't produce any shields you, you are just vu- vulnerable and everybody will try to and destroy you. Well, what I thought was really funny, though, was talking about Mary just absolutely destroying us. Did you notice how at the end of every round, you, I, and Steve would just pass and sit there and watch Mary take turn after turn after turn after turn? It's like she was inside the head of the designer with this game or something, that she knew how this thing's going to roll out. I, I, you know, that's I guess that's the advantage of living with the guy. And Ignacy was just over here laughing and smirking the entire time while she was doing this to us. He was just loving life. Do, does she play this mean at home with you? plays a lot of this game, but uh, thanks for this experience. You learned a new word in Polish, which was Mondrala, Smardas. <laughs> and for the most of the game, everybody was calling each other Mondrala, which was quite funny. It was a very educational day. Um, I was also taught the word um, crappy, and I've already forgotten it, unfortunately. And we learned yes and no. Um, we tried to do um, hello or good day. Yeah, we tried to greet them with good day as soon as they got out of the car, and we were just like met with scorn. It's like, no, just don't even butcher our language anymore, please. It's kind of sad, but that's all right. We we can deal with that here. Last thing we actually got to do tonight is we finally got to preview 
first Martians, which will be coming out sometime in the future. And we got to see a prototype of this game. And if you haven't heard about this game, we talked about it before. It's a sci-fi co-op game with an app kind of uh, running it for you. And uh, Ignacy was nice enough to uh, teach us to it, teach it to us. And so why don't you just tell us where you are in the development with uh, it? I have to start from the beginning because you just win the game too easy. So I'm very sad and I have to start over. Tony and I love this game. We love this game because unlike Robinson Crusoe and many other games that he puts out, here's a co-op game that obviously Tony and I get because by the fourth round of the eight rounds, we had already finished our objective and decided to go for another one just for the heck of it to see if we could do it. And of course we did it. Ignacy says, I don't understand. Everybody else has a problem with this with this uh, scenario except what you guys just did. And I said, could it be we're just that smart? And he's like, nope, there's really something wrong with it. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. I'll admit that we just had the luck of the draw when it came to exploring. Now everybody, Oh, come on. Why can't it be where you're smart and we know how to play this game? Because I've played Robinson and I know better than that. <laughs> That's an easy one. But I, I mean, the, the game's coming along. You, The app's coming along. But um, we're sorry you have to go back to the designing board. So Mary will get to spend another three months trying to work on scenarios. <laughs> Yeah, that is so. The gameplay is ready. You play the game, and you know that every rule is ready. You can play the game very easily. And now we are at the stage of developing more scenarios, more campaigns, and more adventures, and even cards for the game. But the creation of the mechanics of the game, creation of the whole engine of the game is ready. So now it's only playtesting, balancing, and creating more and more cards. So the easy part, I would say, but it takes a lot of time to, to put more content in this engine. And I will say for people who are wondering, how exactly does it play? I mean, you could definitely tell it comes from the same mind of the person that developed Robinson Crusoe because a lot of the same mechanics are there, are there where you get two tokens at the start of your turn. You can use tokens to put on the board to perform actions. And if you put two tokens in a spot, you may not have to roll. Uh, uh, the dice to see if you succeed. If you only put one, uh, you you have to roll and, and see if you have success or not, just like Robinson Crusoe. So a lot of the same mechanics are there. As Tony's played a lot of Robinson Crusoe, and he really picked up on the game pretty quick uh, because he felt a lot of it there. But the big difference was, was the use of the app. Now, uh, Ignacio, you actually were the app for us tonight. You did not use the app. He was just kind of running through, if the app was here, here's what it would be doing for you. Yeah, man, the big difference, uh, I hope that people will uh, enjoy and have uh, uh, great fun with that is the hub part of the board. So in Robinson Crusoe, you have this invention side when you have this small technology tree mm, with this uh, mode and uh, spikes and that kind of stuff. And here you have a hub, right, with all these rooms and you have to manage these rooms and fix them and uh, cover the, all the problems that, that are happening here. And this is the new thing in this uh, mechanism of the Robinson Crusoe. And guys, think of it like this. This is how I visualize it. You all know me. I'm, I simplify everything. But you're, you're at the control consoles of, of the hub, uh, of your habitat, and you're sitting there monitoring all the conditions. And, and even though we know it's not the final, the visualization of that was very easy, and we could quickly see that. Sometimes it will be coming out. We're not going to hold Ignacy to any dates here, but we did have some of our BGG members ask us some questions. So we want to do a real quick question follow-up. Robinson, one of the big things was, how is the first version of Robinson versus the one you're fixing to re release going to differ than differ? Let's leave it at that because that's exactly what I want to ask. How does it differ? 
Yeah. So there's no rules changes. The game is exactly the same. But in terms of a production value, there's a lot of changes. So the first, the first major change is the completely new rulebook. We took the old rulebook and throw it to the bin. And we took a German rulebook from the German edition, which is uh, absolutely perfect. We translated it into, into English. And then we hired Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules. He has this podcast and he's doing lots of tutorials. He edited the rulebook. He proofreaded it. And now we have a brand new amazing rulebook for the Robinson Crusoe. We made more than 400 edits in cards for Robinson Crusoe, clearing the wording, clearing the grammar, clearing all the things that were not perfectly clear. And uh, we are improving the components. So in our edition, there are stickers for player spawns with the portrait of the character. There is a sturdy cardboard uh, character sheets instead of just paper ones. There is a uh, lot of small improvements on almost every single piece of a, of a component. We have a square box that matches IKEA shelves, very important for every gamer in, on the planet. And we have a absolutely new, amazing artwork on the front cover, uh, done by Vincent Dutrain, the guy who made the uh, Louis and Clark or Augustus covers. And uh, so there's a uh, lot of improvements in the production value. Basically, every single piece of a component is improved somehow. That question actually stemmed from another one we had on uh, our BGG Guild where people were sending in questions they'd like to ask. And one of them was, you know, I've heard First Martians described as Robinson Crusoe, but on Mars. And if I can only get one of the games, which would you recommend to buy first, considering replayability, price point, etc.? At this point, is maybe it's too early to say, but we hope that the app will have a tutorial version. So you can play the first scenario very easily because the app helps you. So if it, if it must be the first game you choose, I would choose probably first Martian because the tutorial will help you to understand the whole engine and then it will be easier for you to start with the Robinson Crusoe, which has 40 pages of the rulebook. Uh, but it is too early. I don't have this tutorial ready, so I don't want to mm, comment on this too strongly. But probably will have a tutorial and it will help you a lot. What I'm hearing you, I'll paraphrase that for our listeners, is just save your money and buy them both. Okay, we'll go ahead with that. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it should be. But be two, they are two different experiences, correct? The, yeah, the question is for you, actually, how, how, how you felt because you played. From, from my perspective, the engine is quite similar, but the feeling is quite a different about uh, this European, actually, matter. I, I mean, if you were to pin me down right now and say, which would I, I go with? I'd go with First Martian just because of the visualization of the board, and, and I like I like the space theme. Um, I've played Robinson, but, you know, I'm really liking the mechanics uh, of First Martian. Well, and also you got uh, the campaign mechanism that's in First Martian that uh, you can... Yeah, uh, a huge difference. Where, yeah, where it's almost like uh, the, the state of the game has changed from campaign to from scenario to scenario within a campaign, which is going to be different. Another question was, I'd like to know if Ignacy has any plans he can discuss for Stronghold 2.0 or the 51st uh, State Master Set. you going to do anything else with that? And before you answer that, why don't you tell us about the expansion? That's supposed to come out. Well, that's part of this question. Oh, Discuss plans for Stronghold 2.0, which would have fed right into that. But you had to interrupt. Well, but that's because I can't see your phone from here. So anyway. Well, that has nothing to do with you. You know what this question is going to lead into. And it was a perfect way to, to segue right into the expansion. Wait, okay, anyway, answer the question. <laughs> so uh, for Stronghold, we will have for Essence Stronghold Undead. And the new edition of the old expansion when... Uh, one player is commanding a vampire army and the other is uh, defending castle with the priest and monks uh, praying to stop the vampires and undeads. 
and it is scheduled for Essen. From 51st State, we are working on the new version of the old Ruins expansion, which now will be called Skyvengers, to make it very clear that this is uh, for the new edition. So nobody is confused, and we will have new cards and new mechanism right there, and we are working on that. So Stronghold Undead for the Stronghold and Scavengers for the 51st State, uh, both of them in works and quite advanced, I would say. If you could switch places with Steven, what game would you like to reprint? Reprint from his catalog? I don't know. I'm just telling you what's in this question right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Standpoint of over here, is there anything that you would re- like um, Thunder Road? <laughs> Thunder Road, <laughs> Thunder Road, Nerushima Thunder Road, right? It will, yeah. it will, oh, it will, oh, oh, that's oh, it. You crazy cards it. means Nerushima Thunder Road. Uh, there you go. Let's go get this design. You're on a plane tomorrow for five hours. You can make this happen. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I really like Dark Moon from the Stronghold game. So uh, that is interesting, interesting pick. I never played um, Escape from the, how is the, uh, from Atlantis. This is the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard it's a very good one, but I haven't played it yet. So I think these are the two very good titles. The name Iggy. Does anybody call you that? And if so, do you hate it? I don't care. I do. I, I do understand that the, that's Ignace is uh, difficult. So Iggy, I, I think Iggy is a Iggy pop, right? So this is this, this yeah. the same. Yeah. Sounds good for me. What's your favorite Robinson Crusoe scenario? King Kong. What are a couple of games from other publishers that you really like? Cooperative games? Yeah, what, what are a couple other games from other publishers that you uh, like? A couple other games. Mm-hmm. Twilight Struggle, I love. Lewis and Clark, I love. And Resistance, I love. There's a lot of games. I, I was going to record my top 50. I never had chance to do this. But there's many, many games I love. I, I'm a vivid gamer and I play a lot of games. But uh, I mean, to be fair, you're a designer, publisher. You 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 enjoy playing board games because you love them all. I love, and uh, there's so many genres of the game. So I, for the party games, I love Times Up. For the war games, I love Commas and Colors. For the Euro games, I love Lewis and Clark. And we can go and go and on with the other titles. But where would Strike, which you got <laughs> to play today, fall into that realm? Yes, in, in terms of print and play games, it would be awesome to have it. Yes, <laughs> yes. we introduced him to Strike because uh, Tony had to have that and pull it out. And uh, Strike and Thunder Road, there, there's there's some winners right there. Okay, so how long is your development cycle typically for games? One year. One year. There you go. What's one thing from the design of either of the games that you've recently that you mentioned here, like Cry Havoc, that you had to cut? Oh, um, we are delating and cutting rules over and over again. So I, I don't have now idea for one thing we do, that we could cut, but basically designing is cutting. Like you have at the very beginning, you have many, many ideas and then you just cutting, cutting, cutting until it's done. What's your favorite Polish dessert? Polish dessert. That's an interesting question. I would go probably with the very simple, uh, there is a cookie called Napolonka. Uh, I don't know if it exists in, uh, in English. But it's a very good uh, cookie with something like a pudding, pudding in, inside. I like it a lot. And the final question. How many titles per year can you produce and give the individual marketing attention each game deserves so that some titles don't fall under the radar? That is a very good question. I don't know the answer. If I know the answer, I would re- release exactly that many titles. <laughs> not more, not less. This year, we are focusing on uh, 51st State and Crazy Cars and Cry Havoc and Robinson Crusoe and First Martians and Tides of Time, and this is too much. Uh, so next year, we'll probably release a little bit less games. Uh, but this is, of course, it's a tough, tough choice because we love all these games. We want to give them all the love they deserve. We spend so much time developing them, but it's hard to 
talk about each of these games and market or each of them separately with their great ideas and a good marketing plan. So uh, three, four, five games is, is, is a quite good number. So and our final questions, uh, how is the conversion of Hex to 3.0 going for all the factions? What, any, any plans for 16? What's on the radar there? You're talking about Nurishima Hex. Yeah, I'm sorry, I shortened it up. So yeah, Hex. Yes, uh, for Gen Con we will have uh, two new armies. That is a Dancer and it is Mephisto. And uh, I have no idea what is already released in English because I just got lost. So I just know that we just received from printer two new armies. And what's next, I don't know. But Dancer and Mephisto for Gen Con, I invite everybody to try them because they are very unique and very special armies. And speaking of Gen Con, what will be new at Gen Con at the Portal booth? So we will have Cry Havoc, our major release. We will have uh, Ties of of Madness, our smaller new release. We will have uh, Angry Ocean for Rattle Battle, new expansion, the first expansion for the game. And these are three new titles. Then we will have uh, Dancer and Mephisto 2 expansions for Naroshima Hex. And then we will have our other new games that is 51st State and Crazy Cards. So it's pretty much this. And for the game, uh, the new games, are the pre-orders still open? We have pre-orders open till end of July. So there's not too, that much time left because we have to pack this and ship it to Gen Con. We, and if you visit our website, you can actually not only pre-order the new stuff, but you can pick any promos, anything from our website. We are just preparing a huge package from Poland when we close the pre-order. So you can go to our website, order anything, any promo, any t-shirt, whatever you want, and we'll just pack it and send it to Jenkin. Fantastic. Well, it is 12.30 in the morning here. Ignacy, you have to get him back to his room so he can get packed and get on a plane tomorrow morning with his family, head to Seattle, and we're going we're gonna to be heading uh, back to Charlotte. So it was fantastic seeing you. It was fantastic spending the whole day gaming it with you. It was a great day, I totally confirm. Oh, yeah, it, it was. We we went out to some some restaurants. I we hope they liked them. We we tried. So we took them to a barbecue restaurant, and neither of them got barbecue. And his daughter would only eat French fries. <laughs> At the Mexican restaurant, it was it was French fries, and yeah, she is missing a Polish food. <laughs> it's tough for her. Have a safe trip, man. Thank you so much for spending the day with us. It was very special for us as well. And, you know, as always, be safe out there, especially traveling uh, in this crazy time. And can't wait to see you again. Absolutely. See you guys at Gen Con. Thank you for a great day of gaming. I love it. I'm going to let this one as a final shot. So what does it mean if your wife has to put on reading glasses to play Imperial Settlers? <laughs> you are telling that my wife is old or what? Oh, I didn't say I your wife was old. <laughs> Even Tony, on one of the questions, like, I don't see the big deal about this card. It costs a lot and it doesn't give you anything. <laughs> Ignacy looks at it and says, you get 10 points. And Tony says, that's a 10? <laughs> <laughs> but that was the pre-production, so I can understand that. So anyway, we were having too much fun with that. So Ignacy, thank you so much, and we will be talking with you later. All right, so you know on Board Games Insider podcast, Marty. I do know that one. That's the one that's competing with us for trying to get as many guild members as what we have. And which, by the way, we are on the cusp, on the verge of that plateau of a thousand signups. I 
I'm, I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm loving it. We just need a little bit more to push us over the top. So if anybody has not joined our guild yet, please go join so we can break that 1000 so we can kind of rub it in Stephen and Ignacy's face. Exactly. I mean, and you got a wealth of information over there. People talking about some very... Wait, wait, wait. That wealth of information is not from us, right? No. Good gosh. Okay. No. Yeah, be... yeah. Okay. That's it's from our, the wonderful people in our guild. Right. Exactly. And, and they're the ones supplying it as well as a lot of the other things, interesting topics that they're discussing. You never do know when we're going to go off topic or there'll be an infamous poll by me. There's polls and squirrels all over that guild. Well, well, I love the polls. I mean, there's you can always do that. You can always get a good poll out there. Hey, we got to hang with a really cool poll this past weekend. That was awful. But anyway, a poll was placed out there where I talk about what do you do when you have way too much games in your game collection. Way too much games. Love your English, dude. It's because I was having to type in my Board Game Geek uh, username without saying it on the air. So you, <laughs> you can't type and talk at the same time as what you're saying. I'm challenged in many ways, as you know. So anyway, I did put a poll out there. And yes, it served an interest of mine, but I asked the question, you know, what do you do when your game collection is getting ready to bust out of its seams that you've got nowhere to put it? And surprisingly, you know, well, not surprisingly, 55 or 56 percent of the people who have responded have said that, hey, you know, I'm just going to sell them away. I'm going to trade them away. That's what I'm going to do with it. And then, you know, some other people are saying, well, you know, I'll just go buy more shelves like you did. Yeah, but now I'm at the point where I, I'm, I answered that poll and I said trade, sell away. Well, there's other options out there. And this one was not popular. And that was to condense your collection down and pull it out of the regular box. Now, Marty and I received the bit box, and it's going to be on Kickstarter in July, and they wanted me to talk about how you could condense it down, how you can pull games out of there. And Marty, one of the things that I was concerned about is what do you do with the box art? Now, I'm going to keep my boxes, right? I would hope so. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you that I was able to take 15 games and condense it down into this bit box. What? How big is this bit box? It's the same size as a cubby that you have on your Ikea. So how big is that? Your Ikea shelves. I hope you got bolted to the wall. They're not bolted to the wall. <laughs> as, as they clearly state in the Ikea instructions to bolt this to the wall, to, to anchor it to the wall, to keep it from tipping over. Uh, what is it? Is it 16 by 16? I don't remember. You uh, tell me. It's uh, it's rough, roughly 16 by 16. So yeah, I put all these games in there now. One of the things I'm working with on this is how am I going to categorize these? What, how am I going to organize them? So it's a work in progress, but it's something interesting. So if you guys are thinking, well, you know what, how, how can I condense these down? Or maybe I've got a bunch of small little games that I can put in these and stack them all up nice and neatly instead of these big rubber containers. You know, consider the BitBox. Like I said, Kickstarter, July 27th. It's a neat idea. So the idea is you're taking all the board games. There's there's places for the board games and then places for bits and pieces. And then you say there's like individual boxes for putting... Uh, bits into each individual box and you can mark them for which game it's for. It sounds really kind of cool. It is. It's it's kind of cool. Um, I do have some issues with the fact, well, the mental dilemma of what do I do with my box art? So I'm keeping all those and they've been stored in the attic. But probably the other thing that I think that is a challenge is that the, the small boxes where you put all the pieces, you've got to put the game boards in a different box. So now you've got to keep track of where are the game boards, where are the instructions, and where are the, the bits. 
So that's one of the things I'm kind of wondering about with the BitBox. How will that work? Is it going to be something that will be functional for me? But my wife loves the fact that I was able to take my cabinet and compress down 15 games into that box. She's she's loving that. That's really cool. So you say that's going to be a Kickstarter soon? They said it's going to be at the end of July. So check it out sometime next week. And um, probably about the same time that we air this show, it should be out. Oh, man, that sounds really good. And it's called BitBox, correct? Uh, that is correct. BitBox, and they have a website. Go out there, people. Google's an amazing tool. Use it. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, we mentioned earlier about trying to get to a 1,000 Guild members. We just actually happened to pass a thousand on our Facebook page, which was really awesome. And we had another goal of trying to reach 100 contribute uh, contributors. Yes. Talk contributions. Uh, uh, excuse Contribu- me. I'm talking to the mic. Yeah, I know what I'm just saying you talk much. What was your excuse? Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not typing or anything. That's pretty sad. A hundred contributions to our pod pledge page. And if you haven't gone by there yet, please do so. Cause as we just surpassed our goal of $1,500, uh, so far where we would say, Hey, we're going to do a special episode for pandemic legacy. So that will be coming on later up this fall. It gives you the chance to get shirts and a bunch of goodies and stuff. And so we'd like to break a hundred contributors there. So please go do that. And also last time we asked for people to go give us some iTunes reviews and Tony, they actually did it. I'm scared to know the results. Actually, it's really nice. Oh, they, a lot of these people, yes, we got four, we got a, uh, several new ones, and all these people said really nice things. We had Lensboo, who said some nice t- stuff. Post Poppy. I wonder if that's David Ortiz now, since he's like retiring and he's a post Poppy, you think? I have no idea. Okay. And then we also have uh, Monkey Mall, and all of them said really wonderful things. Thank you so much. Uh, we'd love it if you would leave us a review on iTunes. It just helps us out. And... We'll give you a credit on the show when you do. And if you haven't gotten enough of us to, you know, from our show, be sure to check out what did you play this week? We're going to guest on there. We're very excited to bring our typical lack of attention, <laughs> lack of knowledge, lack of just general of, stuff, of couth, whatever, yeah. or lack of attention to details, things like that. <laughs> you know, we're we're coming on to the, their show, and we really appreciate those guys having us on. <laughs> they don't know what they're getting into. No, they don't. But I'm really looking forward to it. And also, if you haven't had a chance, check it out. Go listen to the Secret Cabal, where I was able to get on one of their Express episodes, where Jamie, myself, Matt Evans, and Rodney Smith talked about the game video game we're playing right now. Overwatch and we're somewhat obsessed with it. And Tony, you need to get a new PC so you can come play with us. Nope, not going to happen. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, it, All right. Well, I, hey, I, I gave up video games a long time ago. I've got a Guild Wars 2 character stuck in some desolate area that needs to get out. I, you know, I've got all these Steam games that I sh- could be playing. Oh, 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 but I bet you'll be playing maybe Pokemon this fall. Oh, yeah. We'll be getting some Pokemon going here. Yeah. Nice. Now, Pokemon Go has, has brought it back. You want to play it again, don't you? It sure did for me. Uh, I do. And then I think what will happen is I'll drop, you know, $35 on that. Or if I had a capable PC, maybe Donna's, if I spend $5 more, I could play Overwatch. Uh, yes, you could. And that's a lot more expensive to buy a PC and, uh, for uh, Overwatch than it is just to buy a game for your 3DS. Well, I think Donna's could run it, right? Overwatch isn't that require that much computing. It runs Guild Wars 2. It's not too intensive, and I think we've lost our entire audience by now. Oh, that's okay. It's near the end of the show, and that's all right. (laughs) They've stopped listening anyway. (laughs) So that's fine. But anyway, do us a favor. Keep rolling dice. And taking names.
Thanks for listening. Join us next time when Tony and I will record on location from Mega Moose Con. Plus, we'll talk about some of the games we're looking forward to coming out at Gen Con. All right, here we go. In three, two, one. We are so excited to have back to the show the hardest rocking game design brothers in the hobby, Adam and Bradley Sadler. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going? I am Bradley. <laughs> what was that Bradley stuff? I'm like, where are you going? In my notes, I've got Adam and Brady on. Did I say Bradley? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm starting this again. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> we are so excited to have back to the show the hardest rocking brothers in board game design, Ada. Oh my God. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's the first man, too. Oh, man, I've never heard that one. Adam. Adam. We have with us Adam and Bradley. Oh, I'm changing my BGG username. Gen Con, right around the corner, people. Don't forget to check out the Fun Again pre-order system for possible ones that will be released. So if you hear something, not all of us, like Marty, can go to Gen Con and see and buy the games there. We've got to wait for them to hit the online markets and retail stores. So be sure to check that out. So if there's something hot that you really, 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 really wanting to play. Really, really? I think you should really look into going to the pre-order <laughs> system, yes, and placing an order at funagain.com. Thank you.